Well, it's such a joy to be with you here on your first ever World Mission Sunday. I'm honored to have been asked to speak. Um, I hope I get the chance to meet some of you who I haven't met uh, afterwards. Uh, it's exciting just to, to be kept abreast of uh, the, the things the church is doing, the way that uh, Inspire is, churching, uh, is, is partnering to plant churches in Chile and Malaysia and in the Middle East and plans to, to reach India with the gospel. Uh, I am very grateful to Anne and Najib and Jill and Evie for all that they do to connect this church to the Lord's work globally in prayer and giving and maybe in even going yourself. Our text for this evening is kind of one verse. I feel like a sort of one-hit wonder when I say that. We've got one verse, um, and it's a passage that you looked at recently, uh, I, I understand, from Philippians 1, so I won't sort of um, uh, repeat what was said before, but I'm going to, if you like, double-click on verse 5 of Philippians 1. Let me just read the, the context a bit, beginning at verse 3. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. And here's the bit I want to highlight. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So this is an unusual sermon. Uh, we, we're looking at one verse, as I said. And Paul is, okay, so let me... Particular question for the children here. Which theological department, which university was Paul writing from when he wrote this letter to the Philippians? When you ask children questions, you want to ask questions, you don't want to embarrass the adults, but you're really you're asking the adults as well. Have a little think about this. Which theological college was Paul writing this great theological treatise from? And it's a trick question, isn't it? The answer is, he was in jail. And he wasn't writing some dry, dusty theological pamphlet. He was writing a thank you letter. Sometimes people think Jesus was the great storyteller. I actually had someone, I did a sermon once, and, and the man said to me afterwards, oh, you know, I love Jesus' teaching. Such a shame that Paul came and rotted it all up. Well, people who say such things don't really understand Paul's letters because actually there's a wonderful story lying behind many of Paul's letters. And I want to try and open up for you the story that lies behind what is perhaps my favorite New Testament letter. You could say that Philippians could be summarized as how to have joy in Jesus in jail. It's a, a useful summary that. You might need it one day. You might end up in jail, okay? Think of Philippians, how to have joy in Jesus in jail. But what it is, is, is it's, I said a thank you letter. And what happened is that, well, let's go back to the passage that Mark preached on a couple of months ago. It's in Acts chapter 16. And if we can have the map on the, um, on the overhead, that will help us a little bit. Um, Paul was sent out with Barnabas from a city called Antioch, which today is in the corner of of Turkey near the, uh, near the Syrian border. And they were sent out from Antioch, uh, went back after their first missionary journey, and then they went out again, this time with, um, with Timothy and with, with Silas, and they got to Troas, and Paul had this vision at night, a man, a Macedonian man, calling to him, saying, come over and help us. 
And so they set sail immediately. They moved from what we would say is Turkey to Greece. And they came to Neapolis and then to Philippi, this, this, this very renowned city of Macedonia, northern Greece. And there they began to tell people about Jesus. Now, what happened was uh, Paul would normally go to the synagogue, but there must, there must have been the case that there wasn't a synagogue in Philippi. So what, what did they do? Well, they went outside the city to the river, and there they found people washing themselves. That must have been the custom of the Jews who didn't have a synagogue. And they found these women praying, and Paul spoke to them about Jesus and what every missionary prays for and longs for. The Lord opened Lydia's heart, and she believed in Jesus. And very quickly, she decided to, to follow him, and she and her household were baptized. That was the start of the Philippian church. It, there was a dramatic um, conversion of a, of a slave girl who was a fortune teller. She was the victim of human trafficking, we would say, and very involved with the occult. And she recognized something about Jesus. And she was, uh, yeah, she was released from her, her demonic oppression. And then there was another guy that we find, about, find out about, him and his family. It's hard to think of a more diverse church than, than this one in Philippi. Because here, when Paul and Silas ended up in jail, the prison warden, we imagine him as this kind of roughy tufty big guy, he's there guarding the prison, sword at his feet to make sure no one escapes. And then because of that earthquake, and Paul and Silas, he thinks, oh, I'm for it because they've, they've escaped. But no, they were still there in prison. They'd been singing hymns and... Um, and he was converted too, he and his family. So you had this church made up of the, the, the rich businesswoman, Lydia, and perhaps this slave girl who'd professed faith in Christ, and then this, this prison warden and his family. And, and the last time, it seems, that Paul saw these, uh, these Philippian believers before he headed further south was when he, he came out of prison and he'd been savagely beaten. And where did he go after uh, he'd come out of prison? And, and he'd been at the jailer's house where the jailer and his family had been baptized. He went to Lydia's house. And there they saw the brothers and sisters and they encouraged them. And then they left and they went south and they continued their evangelistic work. But that wasn't the end of the relationship between Paul and the Philippians. I've said that it's kind of my favorite letter in the New Testament. Because Paul, it, it, the letter just, just flows with joy. I, I have to say, if it, was, if it was the letter of Jeremy from, from prison, it might have read something like this. Guys, things have really gone south. I'm in prison. <sighs> It really is grim in here. Can you pray for me, please? I'm really struggling. In Paul's letter, he doesn't even say that he's in jail at the beginning. You sort of pick it up in passing. But he comes in, I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. He's not navel-gazing, is he? He's, he's thinking of these people. He's praying joyfully for them. And why does he pray with such joy? Because of your partnership in the gospel. Well, let's think a little bit about this, this word partnership. It's a very common word in the New Testament. And if you ever want to learn any Greek, the language the New Testament was, was written in, pick this word up, koinonia. 
Okay, the word koinonia, it means fellowship or sharing or partnership. When uh, Simon Peter and um, his companions were fishermen, they're described as um, koinoi, I think the word is. So they're the people, same word, the people who shared together in their fishing business, had a good catch of fish, they divvy up the profits from that day's fishing. And so when we're partners in the gospel, we, we hold our things in common, like the, the, the early church, it says in Acts, that they held everything in common. Um, some of you may have cars, not to be advised in London, I, I guess. It's expensive work running a car these days. But if you have a car and you're a believer in Jesus, that's not your car. It's Jesus' car. And you have the opportunity to use that for other members of this body. You can serve the gospel using what it is you have. Okay, your house, your, you know, your, your bike, it, all of this belongs to Jesus. We are partners in the gospel, those of us who believed in Jesus. But this is the, what about this word gospel? Let's, let's assume, I, I, I'm sure people walk in from the streets here and, and they've not heard much about Christianity. You may not know the word gospel. It means good news. Okay, so when Paul says, I thank God because of your partnership in the gospel, he's using shorthand, something that, that believers understand, but others don't necessarily know what we're talking about. They're partners in the good news. Now, Christianity, you've probably been taught at school or in the media that Christianity and the other religions, that they're, they're all pretty much the same. Rubbish. They're not. Okay, because the religions of the world, although we share some things in common, the religions of the world, you can say, they're all advice. So do good deeds, our Hindu neighbors will say, so that you, you get good karma. And then you might be reincarnated as a, as a higher being and have a better life when you're reincarnated. Our Muslim friends, on the other hand, don't believe in reincarnation. They'll say, they will advise us, the day of judgment is coming. And there's heaven and there's hell. And they say, believe in the one true God and his prophet. And then inshallah, God will have mercy and allow you to go to paradise. It's, it's advice. You might think that sounds like the Christian message, but we don't fundamentally believe. We don't just go out giving people advice. We have an announcement, the gospel, the good news. This announcement is that all of us have turned away from God. We've all made a mess of our own lives, of other people's lives. We've turned away from God. We've lived as if we're the bosses. And God loved us so much that he sent his own son from heaven to come and remake a broken world, to reconcile us to himself so that the relationship we have with God is not as slaves to master, but as sons of God, as dearly loved children of God. We have the same privilege of access to God our Father that Jesus has. That is amazing news. It's a glorious announcement. And I, I want to stir you up to think, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus, be a partner. Don't just make it me and Jesus. It, it should never be just me and Jesus. Jesus died to bring you into a community of people who share your lives together. So we, we should be praying that this will grow more and more here at Inspire St. James, that we will consider ourselves a team. Teamwork makes the dream work, as the as the book says. And <clears throat> nowadays, you may be familiar that there are a lot of mission societies. But back in the, the days of Paul, there was really no mission society as such. There were just churches 
that sent their members out, and they supported them, and they prayed for them. And this is a great encouragement for us, that we can be a church that is missional, that is a, that is a mission society. I mean, back in the day, there used to be these big buildings with, with sort of Victorian mission societies, and a lot of them being you know, sold off and turned into student accommodation, that kind of stuff. Um, it, when was it? Earlier. I worked really hard at this because I'm not a graphic designer, but I produced this postcard. You, you can do all these things on Canva for free. You don't need to be a graphic designer. But a friend helped me to design this postcard. I printed them. And please, do, do take one of these if you think you could use it. It's uh, scenes from New Year celebrations. Um, Kurdish people, as well as Iranians and Afghans, they love their New Year celebrations on the 21st of March. And they, they love this picture. They put it up on their shop, um, to, displaying it. But on the back, there's a fairly fairly direct, hard-hitting message about Jesus' rescue. And it's got a QR code in uh, four dialects of Kurdish and English and some, uh, a text from Luke's Gospel explaining the good news of Jesus as our rescuer. So maybe if you've got a Kurdish hairdresser or you know, someone in a, a convenience store or a kebab house, think about giving one of these sometime February, March time would be best. Um, and and I'm, I'm trying to encourage you to be a partner with me in, the, in this work, you see. Um, we can together be partners in the gospel. There are so many um, Kurdish people, as well as many Afghans, Iranians, Arabs who are coming to Britain, and we mustn't be xenophobic and say, ah, oh, wish they'd, you know, what are they doing in our country? No, no, no. We should be welcoming people and see this as God's plan that many people from nations who, it's very difficult to go and set up, you know, a, a bookstall in the marketplace. But many thousands of people are coming each year to this country, and God has a purpose here. In fact, many, many Iranians are coming to faith in Christ, and people from other nations too. So this is an exciting time to be living in Britain. Well, where are we up to? We're, we're, we're thinking about this partnership in the gospel. And when Paul says the next little bit, we're looking at this in, in you know, bit by bit, He's very praying with great joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, I think what Paul is thinking of there is when he came to Philippi, and as I said, he went outside the city and Lydia was, was converted. Um, you can think of Lydia as being a bit like the business executive today. She, she, she works for Next, selling the Laura Ashley uh, line of, uh, of, of, of fancy, fancy clothing. Got a nice big house um, in Hampstead, lots of foreign travel, office in the city. That's the kind of woman that Lydia was. She was a dealer in purple cloth from Thyatira. And the Lord opened her heart. She obviously had a sizable house because she said to Paul, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. Now, hospitality is, is hard work. Even having people around for lunch, you've got to tidy, clean the house, you know, clear up afterwards, all that sort of stuff. She really put herself out in order to welcome three men, Paul, Silas, and Timothy to her house. She said, consider it your home. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll provide for you. You can use this as a base for your evangelistic work. So Paul writes this. He says, I'm just so glad because I remember your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Lydia didn't wait till she'd done Christianity explored and discipleship explored and, oh, I ought to start serving now. No, from the get-go, she was a servant. She said, my house it's the Lord's house. I love the feistiness with which she comes up to Paul. She starts to challenge him. She's no doormat of a woman, you know. 
She's saying, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, you come and stay at my house. We need people with that kind of gospel boldness. And it made Paul happy, even as he was sitting in his jail. So it's no wonder that we find Paul had such deep affection for these believers. And I, I love the flags you've got here. I love the plans you've made for this, for this World Mission Sunday. But let's move beyond the, the mechanisms and the programs and the plans to, to pray for a, a, just a, a deep sense of oneness and, and love between the people that you're in partnership with. Um, you know, I'm British, and some of you weren't brought up here, so you've always thought that we're hopelessly cold-hearted people. But uh, you're right, we are. <laughs> and Paul was not British. So, so just hear this, okay? It, it, you might find this hard to, to stomach, because we are just not used to being so gushing and, and, and yeah, so full of love and affection. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brothers and sisters... You whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. He had such a close relationship with these Philippian believers. Well, time is marching on, and we're, we're going to get practical. As I said, we're, we're trying to double-click on this, on this message of, of the partnership in the gospel that Paul had with the Philippians. And this is a, a model that we can learn for, how a church can be in partnership with those that they have sent out. And on the, um, on the overhead, I hope that we'll get five points coming up. I'm going to keep you on your toes because the fifth one is a mystery. But uh, I sometimes like to be alliterative, so they all begin with P. Paul's letter to the Philippians about partnership. We can learn about provision or, or pounds to do with money here and about people, and about proclamation, that's preaching, declaring the good news, about prayer, and then a fifth P, which you'll, you'll have to guess it, and I'll tell you at the end. Okay, so the first thing is about provision. Now, what happened is that Paul was in prison, and there was no Western Union in those days. There was no money gram. So how, and prison, you, they didn't provide you with prison clothes. I presume they, they, didn't, they didn't necessarily give you food, or if it did, it was, it was horrible food. So, the Philippians sent someone called Epaphroditus. There's another P, Epaphroditus, okay, to add to your list. They sent him all the way to Paul, who was probably in Rome, although some people wonder whether he, the prison was Caesarea. We don't know for, for certain. Epaphroditus went all the way to bring him the money transfer, if you like. And you think, oh, that's tough. You know, they couldn't just click and just send the money. It's there within, you know, within two hours. But... Yeah, so he, he, th what happened, and we see, see this in chapter 2 of Philippians. It says, if you follow it with me, in verse 25, 225, But I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger whom you sent to take care of my needs. So he came over and... And there was no sort of expert from the mission society. You know, he, he, it's his job to go and visit the missionaries. There the, the were, were no experts like that whose job was to go out and visit uh, the workers on the field. This was just one of them that they sent out. Uh, they, they loved Epaphroditus. They sent him out to go and minister to Paul to provide what he needed. And so Paul writes this thank you letter. And, and he says, you know, I've now received these gifts from you. That's the reason why he wrote the letter. Uh, and so 
I want to encourage you to be like the Philippians. They were, they were very generous. They had this faith that, that, that Jesus' message was worth sharing with people. And they were prepared to fund people like Paul who'd gone out to share the good news. Now, imagine children. Um, okay, so they're, they're playing on the floor and there's, there's, there's a train and a, and a bus and various fluffy dinosaurs on the ground. And little Alice is, is playing there. And along comes Bertie. And as soon as Alice sees that Bertie is coming sort of within her no-fly zone, she yells out, they're mine! She's not prepared to share any of it with little Bertie. Now, she is making, people think that children don't have faith, but actually little Alice has, has a faith position that, that it's better to keep your stuff than to give it away. And, and Paul says, what Jesus says elsewhere, that it is more blessed to give than to receive. And the problem is, are we any better than those children? Don't we tend to think I'll be better off keeping my stuff, my money, my time, my possessions, than sharing it with other people? Because we're still living with this, I mean, you could call it a satanic faith position. It's, it's just, it's the lie that, that we'll be more blessed if we keep stuff than if we give it away. And so Paul, he doesn't just say, I want you to keep sending me money. He actually says in chapter four, um, you know, I'm happy whether I'm poor or whether I'm well off. I I don't need your money. But he says in chapter four, it was good of you to share in my troubles. That's the same word, that koinonia root word there. And he's, he's saying, not that I desire that your gifts, it's verse 17. What I desire is that more is credited to your account. He was looking for their good. You might think he sounds like a bit like a dodgy salesman, you know, comes up and says, look, I'm not really interested in your money. I, I want this to benefit you. And you think, mm, he, he really does want my money. He's just trying to sugarcoat it. No, but, but Paul really did believe that. And, and elsewhere, he, he writes in 2 Corinthians 9 about how, uh, you know, you, you'll, you'll be blessed if you give. He says that... Uh, God will increase the harvest of your righteousness. Um, yeah, whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And we do need to take that to heart, friends. I, I, I need to take that to heart. We will not lose out by being generous and sharing. It is for our good. I remember a friend I knew who was doing a very high-pressure job, earning a lot of money, um, some sort of consultancy, I think, and he decided to give money to someone to learn a foreign language so that he could reach the, those people with the gospel. And he said, I hate my job. It is so cutthroat. It's just, it's so intense, such hard work. But I love the fact that I go in and I know that a portion of my, my salary is going out every month to help someone to learn a language and share the gospel with that people. Our hearts and minds tend to be where our treasure is. I mean, we're facing a cost of living crisis in Britain, aren't we? I'm worrying about how much it's going to cost just to, 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 to light the house and heat the house this coming winter. But if we just worry about our bank balance, that's where our heart will stay. If we give our money to someone in Chile or Malaysia or some work here in the, the, um, the housing estates of London, our heart will follow where we have put our money and it will be a great blessing to us. So let's remember that, the first thing, the, the first P there, provision. But the second one, more briefly, is, is, is people. We can share people. 
Okay, and um, what Paul did was, is, uh, what the Philippians did, I've already mentioned it, that they sent this guy Epaphroditus to him. And we, we can learn from that, because although, as I've said, you can do a bank transfer these days without needing to send anyone with a bag full of money. Um, in, in, in Iraq, it was all a cash economy. We bought a house, and it was literally, we carried this supermarket bag full of dollar bills. It was like, whew, <laughs> successfully delivered. Um, but anyway, this is an electronic um, culture that we're in now. But sending people is still important. And I, I want you to think, if you've got mission partners in Chile or Malaysia and other places, do think about sending someone just to visit them. Don't, don't make life difficult for them, but if it will be a help to them, send someone just to spend time with them and pray with them and, and entertain their children and then come back and, and share what it's like. And you might be thinking, look, 800 quid for a return flight, that's just, that's going to really sting the, the bank balance. Maybe. But if, as a, as, a, as a house group, you've got 10 people, let's say, and you divvy up the plane flight so that one of you can go off and visit the mission partner, that's not going to hurt nearly as much, is it? Think about partnership, friends. Think about how you, you share a common purse and how you can work together to forward the cause of the gospel. And, and this really does work. Honestly, you might think if you go on that trip to Chile, what am I actually achieving? But you take your photos, you come back, you can tell them in sort of 3D, full color, what life is like in the market and meeting the believers and the kind of trouble they get and the persecution. And it just, it, it, it really strengthens the mission partnership to have a few thoughtful, kind people go and visit. So, so sending people, sharing people, that's the, the second P. And then proclamation. Well, I'll, I'll just mention this really briefly, but I, I do encourage you to take the book of Philippians, read it through out loud. It only takes 15 minutes or so, and use it with friends or in a small group to just spur each other on to think through mission. Use some of the P's that I put up there to, to just see what I'm talking about from this letter to the, to the Philippians. Paul was not just the, like the great hero and then they were the ones who just prayed and gave money. No, these people in Philippi were themselves committed to the same message that Paul was. You don't have to be ordained to be someone who spreads the gospel. We should all be holding out the word of life to others. And there's this beautiful description of two women in 4 verse 2. Euodia and Syntyche. They were having a squabble, which was very sad. But Paul says, verse 3, Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. Paul was not some misogynist who didn't like women. Rubbish. He worked well. They were very dear to him with these, these women in proclaiming the gospel. And as I said, you can give one of these cards to, to perhaps a, a Kurdish barber. Um, and people, honestly, you might be scared to do that. You might feel embarrassed or whatever. I want to just give you an encouragement. I get to know a lot of um, Kurdish folks in their restaurants and, and barbers and dry cleaners and so on. And I was talking to one guy recently and he said, well, I've renounced my religion because Islamists have come and they've hammered us and they've persecuted us in the name of their religion. And I, I just don't accept this anymore. And I said, have you ever considered about Jesus? Can I, can I read you some words in your own language? He said, sure. And this was at his, at his food stall, you know. And I started reading him from Psalm 94, which is all about evil people coming and destroying the weak. And, and he picked out his mobile phone. He didn't ask me for permission. He just started videoing me, reading in Kurdish. 
Uh, that's happened to me many times, actually. And he said, I'm going to send that to my wife. Because he's felt something deep inside him that I was speaking his language. And I, I, I've spent 20 years learning this language. So you can talk to your local person at the school gate say, oh, I've got a friend who loves the Kurdish language. Put them in touch with me. I'd be happy to speak to them. And, and many hearts are touched in this way. And may you go and learn, some of you learn Albanian and Af, you know, the Afghan languages. And it's such a good thing for, for living in Britain today if you speak one of the community languages. So that's proclamation. Let's work together, proclaiming the same gospel. Prayer, well, we don't have time to look at this in detail, but I would love you, if you can, to, uh, to sign up if you want to get news of how God is at work. There are many encouragements, and um, there's a, a sign-up sheet at the back. We have some support leaflets as well. You can find out about the particular work that we're doing now in, in the UK, but with a continued focus back to the Middle East in producing resources for the church. Um, keep at it with praying. I, I see that you're, you're diligent, you're committed to your, your monthly prayer meetings. Um, carve out time to pray. Maybe, maybe you spend too long on email, like I do. Maybe you spend too long on Facebook, and you just need to be quite ruthless and just say, look, I've got to give more time to praying, and praying with joy, as, as Paul did. He, he, he could count on the prayers of the Philippians. If you follow it up, in, in chapter 1, and verse 19, he says, For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I know that you guys are praying for me, and God will work things out for good. And it was very painful for us leaving the place where our children grew up. It was our home for 11 years. We did many tears and sadnesses as we left the country that we've just come to love. But honestly, I believe God has had a good purpose in us having to move back to the UK. So keep praying for us and other um, partners on the field. And so what's the fifth one? Okay, this one is going to make you a little uncomfortable. Because if you become a partner in this teamwork of spreading the good news of Jesus, you will be unpopular at times. That P is persecution. Now, there's a verse in Philippians that is written in stone in the center of Oxford where we live. And it's the Martyr's Memorial set up in the 19th century to honor those who died in the Protestant Reformation. You see those three men who were burnt at the stake because of their faith in the good news of Jesus. And it says on that Martyr's Memorial, for it has been given I'll read it from the NIV here. For it has been granted to you, 1 verse 29, on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. We are a comfort-loving society. Western society is just absolutely committed to an easy life. That is just how we live and think. But, but this says that Jesus has given you this gift of not only believing in him, but also to suffer for him. How can that be a gift, a good thing? It's because as we share with Christ in his sufferings now, we're united to him and we will share with him in his glory. It's, I'm not saying it's a good thing to be persecuted. I'm not saying go and be an idiot in the office so that everyone hates you. I'm just saying be kind, be faithful, tell the truth. Don't be corrupt and dishonest. Speak out against human trafficking and the awful 
the awful killing of unwanted babies in the womb. Speak out with tears in your eyes and you will be hated by people who, who don't like their evil exposed. This is what Christ is calling us to, friends, and we need prayer. This is, you know, we're hardly ever described as militant people. They used to call the church now the church militant. Now it's other people, the left-wing people who are all described as the militants. But we are, theologically speaking, the church militant, and one day we will be the church triumphant. Yes, let's do everything with love, but we should be militantly humble, truth-speaking people. And we need God's help in that. Let's pray, dear friends. Father, there's so much that we could study on this subject, but we thank you for the, what you've ordained with the English language that we can actually think of all these different P's of Paul and the Philippians. And, um, there's much for us to chew over, and, and we know that it's the blessed life to meditate on these things day and night. So we pray that you would equip us to be better in partnership, more generous, more prayerful, more courageous. And may we have a real impact here in London in this very multi-ethnic city and across the world. We ask this in Jesus' name and calling on the power of his spirit to, to, to cause massive growth amongst the disillusioned and used and abused people of, of London who are suffering under so much lying and and so much hollow philosophy that turns each individual into a god and is such slavery and so we have so many depressed people and so Father we ask that may many people come who are weary and burdened and find rest in the Lord Jesus Christ so that even if life goes south and everything is, is just painful and difficult they would have that same joy in jail in Jesus that Paul had. We ask all these things in our great Saviour's name. Amen.